This is our third and final installation um, in the Purvur series. I guess we've given birth to, uh, to we'll, we'll have given birth to three kids over the course of this series. Um, and I guess we'll decide that two of them are boys, one of them is a girl, so that Pechan and Hill can both, we can all be happy with, uh, with our production. Um, but uh, I'm gonna preface the Shia by reminding you of two questions that I posed at the beginning and, re and, re and revisited last week, and I'm going to attempt to address at the end of this week's shear, as promised, uh, which really cut to the core of what Puravu is about. Um, but we're going to see uh, a lot of other fascinating things along the way. Question one, there is a, uh, a fellow who is Jewish, who is has a wild youth, and in that wild youth, he sows some wild oats, and uh, two of those oats actually uh, end up uh, being born, and he never meets them, he never has anything to do with them. Um, he knows they exist, and then at a later point in his life, he becomes observant, he settles down, and he wants to get married. Does he have the obligation to marry a girl who is able and interested in having children with him, or is he has he already fulfilled his obligation of purvu because he has a couple of kids out there in the world that he's produced? That's question one. Question two, which is the flip, is a uh, a couple is married, devoted to each other, no wild oats here, and they are medically incapable of having kids. And at a later point, they decide to to uh, adopt. They adopt. They adopt a boy. They adopt a girl. Beautiful parents, beautiful kids. They're raising them, and then they find some sort of treatment that resolves their medical challenge. Are they obligated now to engage in Puruvu in order to have biological children or have they already fulfilled the mitzvah? That's the two questions I wanna pose out there. And the purpose of the question is not to come to a halachic answer. I'm not a posek and this is not a halachish here. It is to use those as a way of fine tuning our understanding of Puruvu and how we would answer. Um, and so let's take a look at it. Now, um, I kept the sources on page one because we're going to actually come back to them. The first source, of course, is very well known when Adam and is created as a, as a binary being of both sides. God says, It's one thing we looked at last week was whether this directive was given to both male and female or only the male. And we saw the Machloket about that, Yochum and Bruka and his opinion that women are also chayav. We saw the Sugyan Kiddushin that seemed to support the idea that women are chayavot in Puravu. Um, and then we saw that Puravu is repeated, but repeated twice in the directive to Bnei Noach. Rashi on the spot says the first one is a bracha. Now I'm blessing you that you should be able to replenish the world. And the last one here is a, is a mitzvah, is a command, which would then mean that this command was given to all of humanity. And how does that play out? That's something that we're going to discuss, although we did it in the first year, we're gonna discuss it a little bit further uh, in this year today. There are two other psukim that I've thrown in that I'm just gonna reference later on, that if you have, if you remember Masachet Kiddushin, these psukim will pop up right at, at you right away as being significant, but we're gonna revisit their significance later on. And then we have the psukim in your, the psuk in Yirmiyahu, where Yirmiyahu advises people to take wives and have children and then take children, take wives for their sons and give their daughters to other men and have them have children. In other words, having children in the context of marriage. 
and then we saw the pasuk in Shayahu that was used in, in several other contexts to support the idea that propagation is important enough for us to actually bypass other considerations. Uh, and that was God did not create the world to be void, but rather to be settled. And then we have these four of the Psukim and Breshit that uh, invoke Pru or Pruvu, but in the context of the three of them in Breshit, in the context of Avram and twice with Yaakov, and once in Vayikra, in the Parsha that we are reading this week in Chutzlarts, uh, which is Bechukotai, the promise, um, so I'm going to hold that for the end to see why I brought those psukim in. They've been sitting there all three weeks just as a teaser. Okay, what we're going to look at, I'm going to revisit um, a, a little bit of the period of the Gonim because I'm going to add something to that genre. Uh, and the, the question is, what is this mitzvah purvu? And one of the inherent problems in purvu obviously is that you have no control over the the resolution of it or the realization of it, shall we say. Meaning a couple can cohabit as often as they choose to cohabit. It doesn't mean they're going to be blessed with children. And by the way, they can be blessed with pregnancies and the pregnancies don't work out. And it could be, God forbid, they're blessed with children who don't make it, who die at childbirth or at a very young age. There's so much of this is out of our control. It's a little hard to understand how it is, sorry for the pun, conceived as a, as a mitzvah. Um, and so kind of keep that also in mind. There's a lot of balls to juggle in the air as we go through this, but that's an important thing to think about. And I'll then throw in one little other piece. If indeed Puravu is a mitzvah, and we, we've agreed that it's a mitzvah, and all the Monet mitzvot counted as a mitzvah, although we're going to see a little bit of a hitch in that in a moment, then you have another question, which is, how come you don't make a bracha before fulfilling that mitzvah? After all, for all mitzvot, you're supposed to fulfill, you're supposed to say a bracha first. So the answer that you right away, I know you're all going to yell at me and say, how could you make a bracha like that? You, after all, don't know when the mitzvah is going to be fulfilled. You have no, no control over it. So how could you possibly make a bracha? That, if you think about it, turns the question back on itself. And how can there be such a mitzvah? In other words, the whole notion of mitzvah is, I am a free moral agent and God commands me to do things and to avoid things and holds me accountable for doing the things I'm supposed to do and avoiding the things I'm supposed to avoid. And if I fail to comply, there are consequences. How can God command me to do something which is not in my control at all? Which is, of course, what generates the fact that there's no bracha before, but that's like a, a, a small piece of, the, of a very large puzzle. So that's, that's part of the problem. All right. So now I want to go back to the Sheiltot. I gave a long introduction to the Shiltot, Shiltot literature, and specifically the Shiltot of Rav Achai. Uh, and we saw this Shiltot, which is source 14, last week. This Shiltot, and remember, the Shiltot are, are arranged and associated with Parshot Shavua. And so this Shiltot appears um, in, the, in the last Parsha of the Torah, which does mention um, being fruitful and multiplying among the blessings to the tribes. That may be the association. Remember, in the Shiltot, you, you rarely find a direct, uh, explicit connection to the Parsha. It just sort of kind of makes sense to you. So we saw Shilta de Mechavin de Beit Yisrael Lamin Sav Nashe, Vo'olo de Bane, Ume Asek Bipriya Urviya. That 
Bnei Yisrael are chayav to marry women and have children and get engaged in priya urviya. Now that language itself is a little bit odd because you're supposed to get married, have kids. Isn't that puravu? And then, and be engaged in puravu. So what's engaged in puravu? If it's- Maybe, maybe so, last week, last week, the recital, you have the same, uh, I mean, you don't get schar for the, I mean, it just a male inventory you get schar for. So that's the mitzvah. So, okay, so what are you suggesting here? So you don't, the, you don't have to worry about the consequence. I mean, you have to be doing, doing your part of it. Oh, beautiful. I, I love what you're saying, for, except for one problem in that sequence. If you're right, then it should have said, the Mechavin debate Yisrael, Lamin Sabnashi, Right? In other words, you should get married, engage yourself in Puravu, and have kids, hopefully. But instead, it's get married, have kids, and engage in Puravu. The sequence is a little bit off, which I think your, your, your point is great, but the problem is the way he presents it. And remember, the pasuk he quotes is the pasuk that surprises us. It's the only reason that pasuk made it onto the onto the first page. He quotes the pasuk from Yirmiyahu, not from Breshit, and not from Yeshayahu, L'shevet Yitzhara, but rather the pasuk from Yirmiyahu, where Yirmiyahu, in his letter to the Gola, says, take wives and have children, and then give your children to, give your daughters to other men, and to take wives for your sons and let them have children, in the context of marriage and have kids. And then he adds the following. This is not only true about Jews. Even non-Jews are obligated to engage in And last week we talked about why he says that. And we pointed to the opinion of Rav Chidka, who said that castration is, a pro, is included in the prohibitions that, um, that the non-Jews are bound by. And therefore that rolls back uh, to suggest that they are obligated to participate in populating the world. But the simplest read of the course is that Puravu, of course, is given at creation and again to B'nai Noach, and so therefore it would apply to the whole world. But that got us into the quagmire of the Sugyan Sanhedrin of how do we read pre-Sinaitic mitzvot that are not repeated afterwards. And our general rule was that they then become exclusively Jewish mitzvot. And so this particular problem, which we're going to revisit because it's going to be part of our uh, discussion today that's going to get us towards our final answers, uh, is the problem of non-Jews being, being, uh, being obligated. However, I want to point out that this is not the only shi'ilta where the mitzvah of Puravu appears, which is unusual because typically he'll, he'll address any particular mitzvah or halachic uh, context once in the shi'ilta. It appears also in Shilta number five. And I'll, we'll take a look at it right now. Shilta number five is in Parshat Noach. And by the way, this makes all the sense in the world because Parshat Noach is where the command Puravu shows up. Because if you read the Puravu in Breshit as the blessing, here it shows up twice, once as a blessing, once as a mitzvah, the way Rashi read it. All right, now watch how he reads it. Shilta the Mechavin the Beit Yisrael, and it starts the same way. And now watch this. Different language. But Israel are obligated to marry women, have children, and fulfill Puravu, as opposed to engage in Puravu. 
right? And here you could say, means this is how you fulfill Puravu. But this now means something very different than we've been thinking about till now. Ditanya, and now notice where he goes. This is from our Gemara. Right? If you don't get in, engaged in having kids, it's like you killed somebody, it's like you murdered because and the next pasuk is And Rabbi Kiva says that someone who doesn't get involved in Puravu is uh, diminishing from God's image, etc. And then he goes on to quote the Gemara in other places, which is that if you do not have the ability to get married and thereby do Puravu, you could sell a Sefer Torah. It's one of the three things you're allowed to sell a Sefer Torah for. Um, and he goes into some of those details, which means that in the first Shilta, this one we're looking at 13, the one in Parshat Noach, he goes into the details of, of Puravu from perspective of the obligation, both halachic and moral, that each man has to have kids and populate the world. It seems it's only in the context of marriage. You're very good. And that's, we're going we're gonna to keep coming back to that, that issue. Exactly. And here, where it's clearly in the context of marriage, in the second shielta, he goes on to the, more to the, the uh, framework of our sugiyah, how many kids, and if you didn't have kids over 10 years, et cetera, all of those other pieces. So he splits it into two shiotot, which itself is an interesting thing. And we're going to, again, he's one of another ball to throw in the air. All right. Um, the last thing that in, in this context is that he mentioned that goyim are obligated. And this may be his source for saying it. In other words, the fact that the Torah says to Bnei Noach may not be enough of a source, as we saw in Sanhedrin, because that was a mitzvah that was given before our Sinai that was not repeated afterwards which would make it an exclusively Jewish mitzvah. But it maybe he gets it from here because Tosfot explicitly gets it from here. The Mishnah, and I won't go over it again, the Mishnah that we've seen 4 million times and we saw it two weeks ago also. If a person is a half Eved, meaning is an Eved, classic example, an Eved Kanani whose, whose master dies and bequeaths him to his two sons, one son frees him. So he's half Eved, half Ben Chorin. Half Ben Chorin means half, half fully Jewish. And the other half is an Eved Kanani. And so Beit Hillel says he works every other day and what he makes goes to him. And he maintains the status quo. Beit Shammai says you can't do that because he can't marry a shifcha because he's half Jewish. He can't marry a Jewish girl because he's half Evan. Shall he remain childless? After all, because of tikkun olam, we force the one who owns half of him to free him. The Evan writes a star for half his property. The guy doesn't have to give him up. He basically sells him to himself, and then he can marry a Jewish girl. So Tosfot here says the following. The first thing Tosfot is bothered by is how come the, the Beit Shammai quoted the Pasuk from Yishayahu. I mean, I would think Breshit would carry a lot more weight than Yishayahu. He says, but L'Shemet Yitzhara is more powerful than Puravu. Why? And he quotes the Gemara and Megillah, and that's the issue of the Sefer Torah. And they quote our Pasuk, not Puravu, to prove that you could even sell a Sefer Torah in order to be able to afford getting married. By the way, that doesn't mean making a fancy wedding, etc. That means being able to start a married life. 
אבל יש מפרשים משום דעבד לא מפגע, יש מפרשים משום דעבד לא מפגע, הפרי הרביעייה דאמר היו לו בנים בעבדותו ונשתחרר לא כי הם פרי הרביעייה. And we're going to see this as a core piece of today's year, the סוגיה that we already saw in Yevamot, which says that if an עבד had kids while he was an עבד and they became free, he has to have more kids. Right? Which would seem to say that an עבד is not obligated in פרי הרביעייה. Can an Eved get married on Cholamoid? Can an Eved get married on Cholamoid? Now, remember, an Eved Kanani is Chayav in most mitzvot. In other words, they, they permitted it because he said, the guy hasn't had been married yet, and the world's supposed to be popular, which means an Eved is Chayav in Pri Arviyah. He said, but therefore, since you have in Priya you can't get married in Cholamoy because of the, 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 uh, the conflict of Simcha. And this is where Tulsa picks up and says that, remember, you got a half Ev and half Ben Chorin. And we're saying the world is created for Puriya or Via doesn't address his half free man. It addresses the whole thing. It's not saying, but because of the half, because remember when we have halachot, which affect only half, for instance, half Evan, half Ben Chorin can't blow shofar even for himself, right? Remember that? Because his Evan half can't be motzi his free half, right? You're a person with an dico- internal dichotomy, and both of them are players. This Mishnah did not say that. This Mishnah simply said, a person has to do Puravu, and he, he's stuck in the middle, can't marry either one, right? And so then, um, and he said, and therefore, the reason that an Eved who had kids, who now gets freed, has to have more kids, is not because he wasn't commanded as an Eved, it's because, mitam deba'inam zarom yuchas acharav. Now, that, that, that's a core piece. Zarom yuchas acharav. That your children are associated with you is is a a core ke, a core cog in the wheel of puravu. So if a Jew has a children with a non-Jewish woman, those are not called his kids, and therefore he hasn't fulfilled puravu. Which, by the way, right away answers one of our questions. If we were to talk about the wild oats guy and the girls that he had children with when he was sowing his wild oats, were not Jewish. So that wasn't even a question. We were only talking about when the wild oats that he sowed were with Jewish women or a Jewish woman. And then he says, And then he says, bottom line, was given to Bnei Noach. And therefore, Bnei Noach are chayev. And therefore, this Ebed Kanani was chayev as an Ebed. Unfortunately, he could not fulfill it as an Ebed because any children he would have would not be considered his children. Avadim don't have yichas. And so now that he's half freed, he's now chayav and puravu because half of him is chayav, plus really all of him is chayav, and now we've got to create a scenario where he can have children that will actually be considered his and he'll fulfill puravu properly. Okay, and this is just scoping out some of the picture. Now, last week we talked about the Rasag's uh, Sefer HaMitzvot, Rasag Yigon Sefer HaMitzvot. I didn't reproduce the whole thing again, you have it from last week. Uh, that whole poem, the, 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 the acrostic. 
Um, I did reproduce the one line, but before that, I want to show you something else. When you think about Sefer Mitzvot, what comes to mind, first and foremost, I'm sure to everybody, especially we've all been participating in the, in the dive together for quite a while, is Sefer Mitzvot of the Rambam. We see it probably every third year we look at Sefer Mitzvot of the Rambam, and it is just a magnificent work. But as we've already seen, there are other Sifre Mitzvah that took the statement of Rav Samloi that there were 613 mitzvot and, uh, and created a formula by which to count what is considered a mitzvah and presented their own counting. It starts with Rav Shimon Kaira in the ninth century, the Bahag, and Rav Sadia Gaon, as we saw, and the Rambam. And of course, there's Sefer Achinuch, which loosely based on the Rambam, right? And, uh, and there are some others. The literature lasted really until about the 15th century. Um, uh, Shlomo Ibn Gaviro was a great chacham and a poet in Spain. It lived in the 11th century, born and died in the 11th century in Spain. Um, and was considered, it was part of that entire era of the great Spanish chachamim who were polymaths and, were, and who were involved in, in uh, engaged in poetry. By the way, much of that was Islamic influence, their involvement with poetry and with language and everything else. And, uh, and even Gvirol, who I knew best as a kid from his street in Rechavia before I actually found out who he was. But uh, Shlomo Ibn Gvirol, among his many works, wrote a, 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 a poem called the Azharot. And the Azharot is a poem of the 613 mitzvot. And in many synagogues, there's a custom to read it on Shavuot. All right. And I'm, didn't, you can find it online fairly easily. I didn't reproduce the entire thing. But one of the lines is the Dean Eshet Shivya, and by the way, this, unlike of Sadia's poem, is not thematically thematically um, uh, sequential, meaning you don't find things that are grouped together by topic, but the poem is what the poem is. The Dean Eshet Shivya, that's the law of the Yifatoar, the Chok Pirya Virivya, Purvu, the Tilboshet Erya, that is the mitzvah to clothe the naked. As uh, we have in Yeshayahu Nunchet, Kitira Arum Vachisrizito, Venisuch Mekarim, and Nisuch Amayim on the Mizbeach and Sukkot. These are four things of which only two have any connection, which is the Eshet Shivya, Eshet Fator, and Puravu, and even that's really distant, but they're together in the line. Now, along comes the Tashpet, Shimon ben Semach Duran, himself a great Chacham. He lived, as you could see, in the 14th and 15th centuries. Um, and uh, he, he, he was born in Barcelona, he grew up in, uh, in Spain, and in uh, 1391 there was a, the beginning of the decrees of expulsion, and he left Spain and ended up moving to Algiers, and he spent the rest of his life in, Al in the city of Algiers, uh, he was a member of the Beit there, and among his works he wrote a book called Zohar Harakia, which as far as I know is one of the last entries into the Minyan HaMitzvot literature. And he wrote Zohar Akir really as a commentary on Ibn Gvirol's Minyan HaMitzvot. Right? So that little bit of historic uh, parentheses, we close the parentheses, but in it he wrote a line which is exactly what um, I think Abe mentioned earlier, an astute observation, which he says, V'yesh mitzvah, but he has a longer paragraph, but I just clipped this one line out, and this is going to open up a big door for us today. 
In other words, he said, there's a mitzvah of Purvu, but there's a mitzvah that prefaces it, and that mitzvah is in the Torah, and that's the mitzvah of Kiddushan of marriage. All right, now we have to see now what the relationship is, besides the obvious, but the halachic and mitzvah relationship between marriage and Purvu. And of course, this is going to hit strongly on our question about the fellow with the wild oats. All right. And now, if you recall, when we saw the Sefer Mitzvot of the, of the, uh, of the Rasag, he, unlike even Virol, didn't mention Purvu. He did the opposite. He talked only about Kedusha. And in Perla's famous commentary, we saw this last week, um, he maintained the following, he said the following thing. He said that the, that the mitzvah, even though the Rasag only counted Kiddushin, he said what he means by this is the mitzvah of Purvu. So why is he calling Purvu Kiddushin? That's weird. Why is he calling Purvu Kiddushin? And he says the following. Getting married, both processes of Kiddushin and Nisuin, are what's what that's what it means to be engaged in Purvu. Why? Look that look at that line. You are not capable of guaranteeing Purvu. That's up to God. That's not up to you. So therefore, he says the mitzvah can't be Purvu in itself. What's the mitzvah gotta be? And this comes back to what Abe said: the mitzvah's gotta be to engage in Purvu. How do you engage in Purvu? That's where Kiddushin comes in. In other words, Kiddushin is the necessary step beforehand, which may solve another problem I threw up a few, a few minutes ago, I threw out a few minutes ago, which is the problem of the bracha. And we're going to come, come to that right now. And he said, that's why we call su'udat, uh, a wedding feast, a su'udat mitzvah. Because it's the, it, what's the mitzvah? It's the mitzvah of Purvu, that this couple is now going to form a family and have children and fulfill the mitzvah of Purvu, so it's a sudat mitzvah. Now, nobody's ever going to say that at a wedding. You're certainly not going to say that in the chuppah unless you want to never get invited back. But um, cutting underneath it, that's really what's happening. And so therefore he says, so the three modes of Kiddushin, and that's how you rule over the woman. That's the way the language he uses. It's he saying that the Rasag is the, what the poetic language is using is actually indicating the Kiddushin aren't a mitzvah, even though they count them as a mitzvah. It's not because of Kiddushin by themselves that they show up on the list. Because the end of that line is that is how you maintain dominion, as it were, to create a family with her. So now we have two opposite ways of getting to the same thing. Even Gavirol, Dafka mentioned Purvu, and so the Tashbet says, yes, but you got to remember there's something that comes first, which is Kiddushin. The Rasag, Dafka mentions Kiddushin, and a parallel then comes along and says, Yes, but understand the Kiddushin are not an end in none of themselves. Kiddushin are a vehicle through which you can fulfill the mitzvah of Purvu. 
one thing that we now see coming together is there seems to be one broad event, and that is get married and marry a woman with whom you can have children and have children with her. And that's called Puravu. And the vehicle for getting there, and I think, Abe, last week you said it nicely, you said it's like a hechsher mitzvah, is Kiddushin. That's what you have to do in order to be able to have to do Puravu. It's very good. Which then leads us, that would, that would be great. And we could close up shop now and say we've solved the problem and go back and answer the questions. But of course, you know that's not going to happen because it's not even six. So this is where the problem starts. It's with the Rambam. In Sefer Mitzvot to the Rambam, and we've seen this already, the Rambam in Mitzvot Asay, number 212 in his counting, he should see, remember the Rambam's counting is not textual, it's thematic. It starts with the knowledge of God and then unifying God and fearing God, etc. And moves out from there, there's a group of mitzvot having to do with the mikdash, a group of mitzvot having to do with the beitin, etc. And then family mitzvot come in this juncture. He should see vanulifrot vilirbot. He commanded us to be fruitful, multiply. In order to propagate the species. That's the way he says it. Vizoti mitzvot priyat reviyat. Right? And then he demonstrates that this is a mitzvah. How? Meaning, don't read the pasuk only as a blessing. A guy gets married. A guy gets married. And it's a young couple. Neither of them have been married. They get married. The Chatan at Mariv during the feast, is he Chayiv in Shema? He's not Chayiv in Shema. Matter of fact, what's the Halacha in the Mishnah? He's exempt from Shema until he consummates. Why? Because he's very concerned about how things are going to play out. It's a, a stressful time and he can't concentrate. The Gemara then asks if that's the case, then what if a guy just put a lot of money on the Super Bowl? And, uh, and it's a close game like we have this year. Is he potter from Kriyatma because he's concerned about his money? Gamora doesn't ask about the Super Bowl. Gamora, parallel case for the guy's cargo ship sinking. The answer is no, that's his own tirda. This is a tirda, the mitzvah. Here he's concerned about a mitzvah. What's the mitzvah? So the Ramam says that's Puravu, and that's why he's exempt. And then that would be fine, except for the Rambam then in mitzvah number 213, the next one says, he should Sivanu leave only Kiddushin And he quotes the Pasuk, etc. So if Puravu is essentially a, a mitzvah of creating a family, which is by doing Kiddushin and Nisuin and then Puravu, then why is it two separate mitzvot here? And if you were to say that, that the sequence, like the other commentaries on the Sifrei Mitzvot said, is Kiddushin is there in order to enable Puravu, then at the very least, I would expect the Rambam, who is such a stickler for everything organizational, including hierarchical, hierarchical considerations and sequential considerations, would have put Puravu second. What's going on here? You've got to figure that out. All right, so let's wade into the Rambam. Let's dig into the Rambam. And remember, what we just saw, Sefer Mitzvot, was written in Arabic. We're looking at a translation. Every translation that comes along gets better. 
the translations, the original translations of Mitzvot of Ibn Tibon, and then later translations, and then Kapach's translation, and Chaim Heller's translation. Each translation gets better because they build off of the translations of the earlier people, but it's still a translation. The Mishnah Torah, the Rambam wrote in Hebrew. And by the way, you know that we have an autographed copy. Are you familiar with that? Have we shown you that? The, in the British Museum, there is a copy of the Mishnah Torah that the Rambam did not uh, himself physically write, meaning there was a copyist who wrote it, but the Rambam signed off on it. And that's where we get our, our best text from. Because like everything else, there are mistakes that happen. Copyists make mistakes. But the Rambam signed off on this copy. So Mishnah Torah, we have, right, we have uh, so we say a better handle on because we're reading it in the original. All right. Now, in the Mishnah Torah, which is presented as an explication of the mitzvot, so that Sefer Mitzvot becomes a preface to, to the Mishnah Torah, and here's the 613 mitzvot, this is what they are, and now here's all the laws dealing with all those mitzvot. And Mishnah Torah, of course, is thematically organized, Sefer Hamadan, Sefer Hava, etc. At the beginning of Hilchot Ishut, which is the beginning of Sefer Nashim, what the Rambam does, by the way, in, in the beginning of every set of halachot, he says, there are this many mitzvot included in this section, this many asay, this many lotasay, here's what they are, and now I'll explain them. Right, and that that study, that caption study, is itself something worthy of the In the introduction, the Hilchot Yishut, the Ram says it includes four mitzvot: shtei mitzvot asay, shtei mitzvot lotasay. Okay, and I'm included on the two asays because they're the ones that are relevant. I'm included all of them. I highlighted the two. Vizel pratan. Here they are. One lisa isha bichtuba bekidushin. Now, whether this means that the Rabbam holds Ketubah as the right or not, we're going to leave for our opening shear on Masachet Ketubot. That's a couple months away. To marry a woman with Kiddushin and have a Ketubah. Right? By the way, the flip is, Shaloti ba'el isha below Ketubah below Kiddushin. And we're going to see that in, in a few moments. The Rabbam sees as an Easter from the Torah to have sex outside of the context of a protected marriage. By protected, I mean Ketubah. All right, that a man's not allowed to withhold all of the obligations he has towards his wife. And number four, notice the language. Number one is to marry a woman. Notice what number two is. It doesn't say that she should not have relations, but meaning. The Rambam is presenting two as an independent statement of one. Words, it's not referencing one. It's saying a separate thing. A woman should not have relations with Akhtubah. Three, you should not withhold and onah. But then look what he says in four. Which means to have children with her. Which means now he's referencing number one. And that's why I highlighted it. And if you read number one and four in one line, you would you would say it reads, Lisa get married properly and have kids with her. Right? Now, but of course, he counts them a separate mitzvot. But notice that they're tying them in, tying in together. Okay. The Ramam does something 
unusual, but it's not unprecedented. He does it in several places where he begins his halachot. We're now looking at the beginning of the Chotishut. He begins his halachot with something of a historical uh, background to the mitzvah. The most famous example is the entire first chapter of Chot Zarah is a history of, of pagan worship, how pagan worship happened, starting with Adam, then Enosh, you know, in the time of Enosh, how things descended, right? And then he introduces Avram Avinu as the hero, right? That's, that's the famous piece. But the Ramam does it in a few other places, and here, watch. Kodematan Torah, right before the Torah was given, Haya Adam Bogea Isha Bashuk, a guy bumps into a girl, they want to get married. They both agree to get married. He brings her into his house. has relations with her. They have relations and they're married. That's it. Once the Torah was given, we were commanded. She, we were commanded. If a man wants to marry a woman, first he has to make a transaction with her in the presence of Eidim. Then she becomes his wife. In other words, the big switch the Ramam talks about here is, as opposed to it being a completely private agreement between husband and wife, it now becomes a matter of public record. And before doing anything else, you have to do proper Kiddushin, which he outlines in Paragimel. You have to do proper Kiddushin in the presence of Eidim, and then you go into the house and have relations. And then he says, "Vilikuchin elu mitzvat asay shel torahim." Right, and we're gonna we're gonna revisit this when we do Masachet Kiddushim, and that's a ways down the down the pike. This acquisition, this transaction, is called it's it's a mitzvat asay of Torah, is what we call Kiddushin. And there's one of these three vehicles that are used to make this transaction: bekasef, star, or bebiyah. Right. Ushloshtan din Torah. Now, that phrase, Ushloshtan din Torah, is a much booted about phrase because in the early editions of the Rambam, it says that Bia and Shtar are Doraita and Kesef is Midevre Sofrim. But we later found a later manuscript of the Rambam. The Rambam changed his mind and said they're all Doraita, and that's a whole Torah by itself about Kiddushay Kesef. And the Raman brothers, classically, he starts just like every other philosopher starts by the first thing he does is defining the terms. So this is called Kiddushin or Erison. Every time I mention Kiddushin or Erison, is what I'm talking about. And a woman is called Mikudeshet if she's gone through that. Good. Once they, they've made this arrangement called Kiddushin, even though they haven't had relations yet, or come into his house, she's still living with her father. She is already a married woman. And anybody having relations with her is called an adulterer. And if the guy doesn't want to continue the relationship, he needs to give her a get. Meaning, once this kiddushin has happened, even though They've never had physical contact, even though they've never been in, she hasn't moved into his house, anything. They are still fully married with all of the company Chumrot. Now, here's where the Raman says something, which to us is very strange, because he goes back to history. Kodematan Torah, before the giving of the Torah, Hayadam Pogea Isha Bashuk. Here's our wild oats. 
A guy would meet a girl, if the two of them were agreeable, he'd give her some money, and they have sex, wherever they have, right there on the road. Right? That's literally what it means. And then he'd go and leave. Right? You can give us a few names. They're all names we know. We don't need to say what they are. What is that girl called? A girl who agrees to have, to have sex with a man for money. The answer is in halacha, she's called a kidesha. The first kidesha that we meet in the Torah, of course, is who Tamar pretends to be when Yehuda has relations with her. Once the Torah was given, that became prohibited. Therefore, and this is the Rambam Shita, the Rabbi disagrees, and it's a long piece by itself, but therefore, anybody who has relations with a woman without the context of Kiddushin gets makot l'fisha ba'al Kadesha. He had relations with the Kadesha. Okay. Now, why does the Rambam throw this in? It's something we're also going to keep as one of the balls in the air. Soon, these balls are going to come all cascading down. The Rambam then says the following. Call the Makadesh Isha. This is in Parakimah when he talks about the actual uh, uh, formal, uh, form, formal uh, process of Kiddushin. Call him a Kadeshisha. If you're Makadeshuan, Bain Ali Deyat, small Bain Ali Shaliach, whether you do it yourself or you do it with a Shaliach, which you can do, you could send a ring with somebody to another city and say, Give her Kiddushin for me. Sarich Levarech Kodam Kiddushin. What do you, the Chatan, have to do? You have to make a bracha before the Kiddushin. Who? Or if you have an agent, the agent makes the bracha. And now watch what he says. Just like we do before any other mitzvah. After all, you hear shofar, what do you do first? You make a bracha. You shake lulav, what do you do first? You make a bracha. Eat matzah, what do you do first? Before you put on yitzvillin, before you do kiddushin, a bracha on kiddushin. And who makes the bracha? By the way, who makes the bracha when you put on tefillin? You do. Who makes the bracha when you shake lulav? You do. So who makes the bracha when you give kiddushin? You do. Is that, by the way, our practice? What's our practice? Well, the rabbi. The rabbi does it. The guy inside of kiddushin does it. I'll explain why in a minute. And then he says something that's really phenomenal. Phenomenal in its, in its strangeness. To us. Let's say the guy gave kiddushin. And he didn't make the bracha. This is the Rambam's shita about brachat mitzvot, which generally we, we hew to, which is you do not make the bracha afterwards. All right, let's say that you, uh, that you heard the whole shofar and you realized you never made the bracha. Do you then make the bracha afterwards? We don't. We don't. So the Rambam says the same thing. Let's say you gave kiddushin to a girl and forgot to make the bracha. You don't make the bracha afterwards. That would be a vain bracha. You already did the mitzvah. So the Rambam clearly holds that the bracha that we make for Kiddushin is Berchat mitzvah has all the rules of Berchat mitzvah. It should be made by the person doing the mitzvah and should only be done beforehand. If it's done afterwards, then it's, then it, you shouldn't, then if, afterwards you shouldn't make the bracha. There's no point to the bracha. And what's the bracha? And this should sound familiar. Baruch HaTah Hashem Lekinu Sivan, 
This is close to our Nusach. Baruch Hashem, by the way, what's our Nusach? But in most of the earlier texts, the Baruchah was Mekadesh Yisrael. Zui Birchat Erusim. Right? And then, The custom is to have a cup of wine with it also. So we say, Baruchah And then we say this bracha. Right? Okay. By the way, our custom is to do this bracha before the Gefen. But who makes the, who makes the bracha? Typically the rabbi. Why? So the conventional answer is that many chatanim don't know how to make a bracha. Right? You know the, how often, I mean, I remember my father, Al-Shalm, used to have to coach the chatan and say, repeat after me, hooray, and at, mikudesh. And if you're going to have people who certainly can't make this bracha, and even if they could, they get too nervous. And so therefore, we made a rule that every, for everybody, the rabbi makes the bracha, just like we have a Balkriya, who lanes for everybody, even people who get an aliyah, know how to lane, they don't lane. In Ashkenazi custom, only Balkriya lanes, so we don't embarrass people who don't know how to lane. So here, we don't embarrass the chatan. He's got enough problems. We don't embarrass the chatan. Um, and so therefore, the rabbi does it for everybody. But there's got to be something else cooking in there, and that's going to take us to the Rosh, who we're going to see momentarily. But just to finish the Rambam, the Rambam then in chapter 15 of Hishut says, and he introduces Puravu in a strange way. He introduces it by saying, If a woman says to her husband afterwards, you don't have to have relations with me on the regular basis that, that I have a right to. They can live a relatively celibate life. That's only if he already has kids. At least the two kids are the minimum of Puravu. But if not, they have to have relations until, until at least they fulfill the mitzvah. Because it's a mitzvah. And then he says, the man is chayav. Then he talks about the 10 years issue, etc. Please take a look at Al-Chavad. A guy is not Jewish. He has kids. Venit Gayer. And then he converts. And the Rambam adds, Hu Vahem. He converts and his kids convert. He's fulfilled the mitzvah. So a guy is not Jewish, has a family, converts. He's 30 years old. He's still fertile. And his wife is 28 years old. They've got a couple of kids. They convert to Judaism. And the whole family converts. They don't have to have more kids. Now, what does that tell you about the mitzvah of Puravu? We're, we're going to start bringing stuff home now. What does that mean about the mitzvah of Puravu? If a guy who, was, who, who converted, had kids before he'd be converted, then he converted, he doesn't have to have more kids. He'd already did Puravu. And the Jewish kids. What? The Jewish kids, because they converted. Yes, but guess what? He converted, they converted, and guess what? He's not their father anymore. Right? Midor right. they're not obligated in Kibbutz Right? And Midor right. and if they were to strike him and 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 uh, draw blood, they wouldn't be Chayav Mita. If they cursed him, they wouldn't be Chayav Mita. Right? I mean, I know people like this. I know people who are a converted family, and when the parents die, the kids technically don't sit Shiva. They do out of respect for the parents. But they're not bound by it. Which has all sorts of other impacts. 
Means means when the parent died before the parents uh, buried, they still are chayiv mitzvot. They're not an onet. It's all sorts of interesting things. So look look at the Rambam says, a guy. Uh, I'll, I'll draw a beautiful picture. A lovely couple gets married. They're Irish Catholic. Lovely couple gets married. And being Irish Catholic, they have three kids right away. And then suddenly they realize Irish Catholic is nice, but Judaism is real. And they decide to convert. All of them convert. Mother, father, and three little kids. The Rambam says they don't have to have more kids if they don't want to. They've already done Puravu. How do they have Puravu? Think about that. All right. Now, but if a guy was an Evan and he had kids and then he was freed, he then has to go and have more kids with a Jewish girl because those aren't his kids. Because those kids are not called his kids. Okay. You see how we're now cutting to the, to the main issue. Okay, so let's look at that particular thing in the sugya, and we're going to see a few things about it, and then we're going to roll back and revisit our questions, because now we're actually armed with enough information to at least address them intelligently. Meaning, I, I can't offer a final psaac. That's not what this is about. But at least we can look at them with more information. Okay, the sugya, and we saw this last week, Itmar. Hayulo banim a man has children when he's non-Jewish, and he converts. Notice, he converts. Rabbi Yochanan He fulfilled priyarviyah. He doesn't have to get married again, or he doesn't have to have kids again. He can marry a woman with kids. He doesn't have to approve anymore. Shlokesh Amar says, he didn't. Why? He had kids. He had kids. Shlokesh Amar Why? Gershin Dami. What does Rishlaka say? When a person converts, what's their metaphysical reality? Starting over. Starting over, which means anything they did before doesn't count. So Rishlaka says, therefore, you had kids when you were not Jewish. Very nice, but doesn't count. And therefore, you have to have more kids. Okay? Because, now, because, it, because he didn't have Kedushin. Say it again? Because he didn't have Kedushin? Uh, no, evidently because because we, they don't mention that. They're only they're concerned with the issue of you had kids, and by the way, notice he converted. There's no mention of his kids converting. So he had kids, and now he can and now he converted to Judaism. Is he now bound by a new mitzvah? So this will actually cut to several issues. One issue is was he chayav and puravu beforehand, or do we even care? Even if he wasn't Chayav and Puravu, if he had kids, he did Puravu. So now that he's suddenly Chayav and Puravu, he can retroactively say, the kids I have back then count for my Puravu. And Rishlokosh Rebbeik is like you say, conversion is, you come out of the mikvah like you come out of the womb. You're starting over. And anything you did before doesn't count. That may be what he's saying. Rishlokosh may be saying something deeper, and Rabbi Yochum may be saying something, something, something deeper here. But remember, the Rambam added in, and by the way, none of the versions of the Gemara that say Huvahem. The Gemara clearly, uh, the, the case, the, the Memra is Hayulo Banim He converted, and it doesn't mention what the kids do. All right? So now, the Tosfot here on the spot seems to read it that way, and he says, watch, Af Agav Source 28. 
For certain halachic issues, we say when a person converts, they're a newborn. He fulfilled this mitzvah when he was a goy. Why? A non Jew, and this is a longer discussion that takes place afterwards in the Gemara here. A non Jew, his children are considered his children, halachically. And he brings psukim left and right from the from Torah that describe this king, this non Jewish king, the son of this non Jewish king, right? Or this guy who's the son of, and they're all non Jews and they're considered Av and Ben. And they have Yechus, they have connection. In which case he said, there, and watch Tosa's language. He had a child who was connected to him, right? And what should he says? Meaning, when his wife gave birth, he had a child that was called his child. The fact that later he converted. So Tosot says seems to say that what the critical, the, the litmus test of Puravu is, did you have a child who's considered your child? And Evan won't, but Nanju will. The fact that afterwards you converted doesn't matter because at that time you had a child that was considered your child, right? Changes on the concept that, that if you accept that Purim uh, was a mitzvah by Goyim. And so if he did it even as a Goy, he fulfilled a mitzvah. Good. So that therefore showing what you could say is that the mitzvah bridges between his non-Jewish life and his Jewish life. Tosfot, I think, doesn't says we don't even need to go that far, though. I, I, I like what you're saying. Tos says we don't need to go that far, which is Say, even though there, he might not have been obligated, although Tosfut is the one who says that going more obligated in, in Puravu, we saw that in Chagiga. Nonetheless, that's not his point. His point is, here he had a child who was considered his child. That's called Puravu. That's called doing Puravu. Whether he did it as an obligation or not, that's called Puravu. The fact that he afterwards converted wouldn't, wouldn't, take any, wouldn't change anything, because that was what was the reality then. However, the Magid Mishnah on the Rambam that we saw supports the Rambam's read that the children had to convert with him. And watch what his language is. Why? He supports the, the Rambam's addition, children had to convert with him. Why? Look at his language. He said, if not, then this guy would have to remarry and have more kids who would be called Jewish kids. Which, if you think about it, is very strange because they're Jewish kids, but the kids who converted with him are not his Jewish kids. They might be living in the same house with him, he might be raising them, but they're not his Jewish kids because they're not miyuchastim anymore because this that that relationship has been technically severed with the conversion. Well, they all converted together, and everybody treats everybody beautifully and everything else, right? But the Meiri, by the way, supports the Rambam also here. So last thing I just want to show you, and we're going to have to do most of this, the rest of all pat without the text, but the sugya in the beginning of Masachet Tubot that talks about the bracha that's made, and we already saw this in the Rambam, and again, different versions of the bracha. All right, if you take a look at Rashi here. Sorry, first in the Gemara. The Gemara has the following. There were different versions of Berchat Ha'erusim. right? So... Quoting Rav Yehuda in Bavel, they said, etc., etc., etc. And that was it, meaning it did not have a chatima, it did not have a signature formula. But he had a different version of what Rav Yehuda said. There is a chatima. 
In other words, the question is, is this what's called a bracha ktsara, a short bracha, like boy creates, or a long bracha like Kadesh Shabbat? Right? Now, the Gemara then says the following, man lo chatim, the first version it said there's no signature, midi dahave a birchat peirot va birchat mitzvot. Because it's like birchat peirot or birchat mitzvot, those are one-liners. The one who said there is a signature is because it's like Kiddush, it's a longer bracha. Right? In the end, we do make a chatima, and it is got multiple themes, and it's like Kiddush. Watch what Rashi says here on the spot. Birchat mitzvot. Al hashchita v'al hamila kevan d'chula chada hoda'ahi. It's all one form of thanksgiving. Ve'en hefseik b'kashav in time. There's no request in the middle. It doesn't need a signature form. You think about brachot. We talked about this way back in brachot. Look at Rashi's language. Why do birchat mitzvot not have a chatima? You know, they none, none of them do. Birchat mitzvot are all one-liners. Boom, boom, boom. The reason is mishum dehodaahi. It's all just Thanksgiving. You're thanking God for this mitzvah. And watch what Rashi says. This bracha is also all thanksgiving. But notice what Rashi doesn't say. He says, he doesn't say it's birchat mitzvah. Unlike the Rambam. The Rambam who says the bracha on Erusin is birchat mitzvah. Rashi says, no, it's also one hoda'a. And that leads us to this, we have to skip the ritva, this leads us to this very famous comment of the Rosh that takes on the Rambam. The Rambam, as we know, said, you have to make the bracha, the chatan himself has to make the bracha, and he has to make the bracha beforehand, etc. Right? And the Rosh here quotes him. And, and he says, you know, there's some people who were bothered by the Rambam for a different reason. If you make the bracha before Kiddushin, what if the girl pulls out? You're about to give her the ring, you make the bracha, give her the ring, he says, now nah, forget it. You made a bracha levatala. Therefore, you want, to make the, you want to do Kiddushin first, then make the bracha. And then he says, watch this. With every other mitzvah you're mentioning, I'm about to do this mitzvah, so you say it beforehand. We don't say that. Notice what the bracha is. What is the bracha we say at a wedding? It's like a little mini shochan aruch of marriage. It doesn't. It doesn't say you're, you commanded us to do X and then we do X. It's right. So on nusach bracha People are bothered by this nusach. It's a wild thing. Where do you ever find a bracha where we thank God for what, what he what he prohibited? Before eating matzah, you say, When you're about to eat meat, you don't say, thank you, God, for making that bracha could be made without a chuppah a year before. Venerally, ki bracha zu eina birachal asiyat ha-mitzvah. 
Now here's the Rosh, and big sledgehammer. This bracha is not bracha lasiat mitzvah, ki mitzvah. What's the real mitzvah for revu? And that's not what's happening here. What's happening here is you're giving her a ring. This line creates a firestorm throughout the centuries. If a guy took a concubine, he could take a concubine, have kids with her, he never has to get married. Let's say God marries a woman, you know, later on in life, and she's already past that age. You still say the bracha, even though you're not necessarily fulfilling the mitzvah. The mitzvah is poor vu. That's the way the Rosh reads it. Okay. So I want to roll this back because we're already at past time. We asked two broad questions. And one of the questions had a subset that we already got rid of. The first question was, the guy sows wild oats. We already got rid of the idea if he sowed wild oats with a non-Jew, that certainly doesn't count as poor vu. Those kids are not his kids. It's uh, halakhically, et cetera. And now the guy finds himself, but a guy sows wild oats with a Jewish girl or Jewish girls, it's clearly totally unacceptable. We don't like it. It's whatever. But reality, the guy has two kids out there in the world, DNA, paternity test will prove it, et cetera. And they are Jewish kids. He doesn't know who they are. He just knows they exist. He might even send some money. He doesn't know who they are. doesn't do anything. And now he's found his path and he's becoming an observant man. And, uh, and he's looking around. Does he have to look for a girl who's ready to have kids? Or can he marry a woman who's already got kids? Does he still have to have more kids to fill Puravu? Or do we say he fulfilled Puravu? The other side of the question was a little easier to deal with. A couple who was not able to have kids, they adopted kids, and now they're able to have children. Do they have to engage in that? So the answer to the second one seems pretty straightforward. Throughout everything that we've seen, we have never seen a suggestion that there's an exemption of poor vu because you're because of raising somebody else's kids. A tremendous chesed, which because I'll talk about, and if you raise somebody else's kids, it's considered as if. But as we saw in the Rambam, and we saw in others, propagating the species, your own obligation, propagate yourself further, certainly isn't fulfilled that way. And therefore, if somebody is able to then have kids, they should have kids. Um, another argument can be made from the 10-year from the rule that we saw in the Mishnah, where if a couple's together and they can't have kids after a certain amount of time, then they have to get divorced because he has to have kids. And so when they just adopt, the answer is because that's not Puravu. That is a great chesed. That's a great thing. Wonderful thing. I have some very dear friends who that's how they, the kind of family they have, and lovely families, but that's not Puravu. But what about our wild oats guy? So I'm going to suggest that our wild oats guy really devolves into what I'm going to present as three different approaches to Purvu. There is the approach of the go of the Gonim, really of the Shiltot, but we find it also, on, on, I think, if we read correctly, in Rav Sag and maybe in even Gvirol, what we may how we may understand it. We have, um, on the other hand, the Rambam, and on the other extreme, the Rosh. On one hand, the Rambam clearly defines Kiddushin as a separate mitzvah, unlike everybody else, at least unlike what we've seen. Kiddushin is a separate mitzvah, and the bracha we make Kiddushin is birchat mitzvah, and all of the laws of birchat mitzvah. However, the Rambam makes it clear that the purpose of Kiddushin is an institution by which you can have relations and bear children. 
That's why Puruvu is in Hilchot Yishut. There are other places it could have been, like in Sefer Kedusha. And, um, and, and why um, the Rambam in his introduction says, to get married, to get married and to have children with her. You know, the Rambam sees Kedushin is the necessary first step towards Puravu. He would agree that the ASEC, like Abe said, the ASEC in Puravu is what the marriage is about. And that's why a chatan is called Osek B'mitzvah, because he'd been Osek B'mitzvah Puravu. And that's why Kedushin then has that format but it's still a separate mitzvah. Why is it important to be a separate mitzvah? Because it means, first of all, if a man already has kids and then the marriage ends one way or the other, man still should get married. If the couple is older, they still, and, and now, you know, a new couple is formed at a later age, they still should get married and it's still the mitzvah of Kiddushin. The mitzvah of Kiddushin seems to be the primal form of building the family. The primal form of building the family is the man and the woman come together. After that comes Puravu. And in cases where Puravu either has already happened or can't happen anymore or can't happen at all, at least the essential form of Puravu has happened, which is through the couple coming together. I'm going to show you that with the Psukim that I'll bring back to share in a minute. I'll show you that with the Psukim uh, that we had at the beginning. The second thing is the position of the Shi'iltot. And the Shi'iltot really read Puravu as the mitzvah of Puravu is, and it's very close to the Rambam, get married and have kids. Have your children get married to have kids. So that he doesn't read the Kiddushan as a separate mitzvah, but rather that the mitzvah of Puravu is a mitzvah that starts with Kiddushan. It's very similar to the Rambam. And it's a mitzvah that starts with the context of marriage, and, and having Kiddushin, which would mean then, taking those two positions, that we would at least suggest that if there was a guy who sold wild oats and knows that he has children out there, and now he's, I would say, I wouldn't say he's reformed, he's orthodox, but he's uh, found his way back to Torah, and he wants to now get married, we would say he should marry a girl with whom he can have kids. Because the real fulfillment of Puravu is not just to propagate the species. It's to propagate the species within the context of a holy family. And I'm going to maintain it a step further. The Puravu doesn't start at the chuppah and end in the delivery room. It doesn't end until, we'll call it, the kids are married, or the kids have their own kids, or maybe it never ends. When do you stop being a parent? You never stop being a parent. Your role as a parent changes, but you never stop being a parent. And one might make the argument that Puravu is not simply to propagate the species, but it is to raise children. And raising children means the entire scope. So when I take my kid out to teach him how to drive, that's kind of part of an extension of what that mitzvah is that started all those years ago, but continues. As, as we're bringing our, our children through, because remember, we're trying to propagate a species, not just a biological species, a religious species, uh, a species with values, species with education. And where, where did I get that? Now, look at the Rosh. The Rosh will read a whole different thing. The Rosh will say, Puravu is simply propagating. I have kids with a Pilegesh. That counts as kids, as long as she's Jewish. 
There's your kids, and you don't even have to get married at all. The Rosh is reading it in a different way. The Rosh, of course, is saying that's not the way to do things. He's not suggesting it, but he's pointing out as far as the mitzvah puravu, he reads the mitzvah puravu in a much more not uh, in a much more literary sense of have those kids. And it's very likely that if our fellow with the wild oats went up to the rush and said, do I have to marry a girl with whom I can have kids? He might've said, no, you don't have to. You should, but you don't have to, maybe. I have little doubt that the Rambam, the Shilto and others would say, absolutely, you gotta <coughs> have kids. So I'll show you where I think that that comes from. You take a look here and you see, and you when wondering, I know that you haven't slept for the last three weeks, you're wondering why there's these psukim on the page, right? You take a look here in Breshit three times, there's a mention of Puravu. First time, Hashem says to Avram, I'm going to make you very fruitful. But what's the rest of it? I'm going to turn you into nations. Kings will emanate from you. And when Yaakov returns to Bethel, God says to him, Have more kids. A nation and a, and a family of nations is going to come from you. You're going to have king comes out, kings come out for your loins. And Yaakov on his near deathbed says to Yosef, what did God tell me way back then? I'm going to make you fruitful and multiply. And I'm going to turn you into a, an assembly of nations. And I'm going to give this land to your children. In other words, Puravu in the brachot and Puravu in the narrative, not in the commands from God, but in the brachot given here when God speaks to Avram or when God speaks to Yaakov, when Yaakov recalls it, is directly associated with nation building, with, uh, with whole, the building of a holy family, of a holy tribe. It's not just have a bunch of kids. Having kids is a step towards building this great nation. And the bracha, then again, we're going to read here in Chutzlarts this week, and it was already read in Israel this past week. God, the, the almost the climax of the bracha is I will turn to you, I will make you fruitful and multiply. And what is that? I will then fulfill my breed with you. God made a breed with Avraham, and the breed with Avraham was about a breed with a nation. Avraham was one individual. The, the, the breed then meant. You are going to have lots of kids. You, then your kids and kids. Ultimately, you're going to have a, a whole lot of kids. And when they are a big enough group, I'm going to then renew that breed with them. That's called Matan Torah. And that's the breed that was made. And so whenever we see the context of Puravu here, it's always dependent on and part of a sequence of building a family. And I believe that that's where the Shi'otot gets his direction from. I believe that's the Rambam gets his direction from. And seeing that Nikidushin and Nisuin is really the beginning of a process, which ultimately is Puravu in the larger sense of the word. Isn't, isn't that what the uh, Pasuk in Yirmiyahu says? In yes, the, and that's why the Shi'otot quoted the Pasuk in Yirmiyahu. Exactly. That's why the Shi'otot quoted that Pasuk. Yeah. Uh, matter of fact, I approached a colleague this week uh, and said to him, what would you think about a guy who, you know, had kids, you know, out there, wild youth, had kids, and then uh, became observant and wants to marry, does he have to marry a girl who's willing to have kids? He said, it would seem like not, he already did Puravu. I said, oh, what about the Shiltot? He wasn't familiar, that's okay, not everybody asked about the Shiltot. And I quoted the Pasuk, and he was very surprised. And he said, you know what, it makes a lot of sense. 
that actually, at least according to the Shield thought, and seemingly according to the Rambam, and if in the broad direction, is it's your job to then have a family that you're raising. And then you can go back and explain why the Rambam added in Huvahim. Remember, the, the Gemara said if a man is not Jewish and has a bunch of kids, he, and he converts, according to Yochanan, he fulfilled the mitzvah. The Rambam added in if he and his children convert. Why does the Rambam. But not his wife. What? Well, the assumption is his wife. The assumption is the whole family. And the wife's not, not a necessary player in this. But the right. point is, I think the assumption is that if a man converts and his children convert with him, the notion is they're going to stay a family. I mean, you know families like that. I know families like that. I certainly know families like that, where the man converts, his wife, the whole family converts. And they already have children. The children all convert. He's raising a Jewish family. And that's why the Rambam says that, because that's how the Rambam sees what Purvu is. He's nation building. He's nation building. By doing exactly. That. Exactly. All right.